Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 56th episode of Animalators, curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have Hendel Eugene, a multidisciplinary artist and animator residing in LA. He started his professional career in 2012 at We Are Royale, working on jobs for brands like Nike, Google, Toyota, Starbucks, and more. He has since gone freelance and has had the opportunity to work on location at places such as Facebook and Apple. Today on the show, we'll talk about his recent contributions to Marvel's Spider-Man Homecoming and Black Panther films. We'll talk a little bit about his work in the education sector, teaching at Otis College and MoGraph Mentor, and we'll get into why he is obsessed with lists. I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. Well, Hundell, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it, Zach. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's jump in. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, let's talk about working with Marvel right, right off the bat. Uh, your first experience was with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, what well, was it, April of last year? Wow. Um, got called in to, uh, to, to work with them and I was super excited. It was funny because I didn't know once, you know, I got the email landed in my book, um, inbox, you know, they couldn't tell me what, what film it was for. And I was like, Oh, well, it's just, it's a film. So let's, let's, let's do it. And, uh, after signed a whole bunch of NDA contracts, like <laughs> you will be working on, uh, Spider-Man homecoming. And I was like, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, what? And I was like, I was trying to not keep my hopes too high. But then again, I was like trying to think, well, what movie is coming out? Like, yeah. I was trying to, I looked at like, like all these different lists and I was like, nah, it's not that one. It's not, it's not, <laughs> that. not get my hopes too high. Um, and, uh, I was just, yeah, ecstatic just to work on that project. It's one of the, one of the funner projects I've gotten to work on. Um, in my career. Yeah, so that was with Perception? Yes, that was with Perception New York. Those guys are awesome. Um, incredibly grateful, thankful, internally grateful for um, for them reaching out to me to come work with them. So um, Yeah, so what was your role in the project like? It was a small team. Like, I'm always, always so surprised. And um, just in general, people should know, like, you know, whenever you see entitled sequences, it feels like a whole full-on production, which you could probably assume, like, a lot of people worked on it. But um, yeah, it's not the case with film titles. It's often lower budgets. So it was a team of about five people, uh, four people working on it, you know, full time, um, three people and an intern um, uh, uh, working on the uh, what is this two minute, two minute long sequence. So, man, that, that's a great internship right there. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Alaria, Alaria. She, if you if you've seen the titles, she was tasked with doing a lot of the hand drawing, a lot of the frame wow. by frame stuff. It's so funny. The studio was like filled with like all these sheets of paper, and she was just kind of going in, and just like doing like the claymation, like um, mm. doing it frame by frame. So she did a lot of she. Her hand was all over this 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 film, um, doing a lot of kind of I wouldn't call it grunt work, but it was it was a lot of a lot of the manual labor work when it comes to uh to it but i mean i i, I was like man i want to switch to her on some of these shots like they're they're, <laughs> they're uh they're awesome yeah um so uh yeah so were you breaking down i mean you have this great breakdown of one of the shots it's like the train shot you you're in cinema and after effects and photoshop were you just kind of assigned different shots within the piece yeah so actually just to answer your question um yeah i was a, i was a 2d and 3d animator on the uh 
on the job. And yeah, so like when I came in, we were still working on the animatics. So literally just like storyboards and just putting them in motion. I think I spent a day just uh, helping them work the animatic out with these different sketches. Um, we had an awesome, we had awesome concept artists who were just kind of br- uh, banging out these different boards, just pencil sketches of what the compositions could be and like how could we, you know, we were rearranging things. And so once we got the animatic locked down, yeah, I was just started divvying up shots that had style frames that were ready. We were literally creating style frames while animating at the same time. So it was kind of like this this project that was moving very. We had a short deadline, so like, all right, as soon as the shot was a style frame was done and approved, it was like, all right, jump on that. And so, um, um, Chris Carboni was an awesome animator, illustrator, and director in New York. Um, was um, knocking out these style frames right next to me. I was sitting next to him, and uh, literally he was just like passing me, passing me these style frames, and I was like bringing them into After Effects, Cinema, Photoshop, and just trying to um, animate them um, and make them as awesome as possible. But uh, awesome as possible, but also being aware of the short deadline that we had, where we had to kind of like, yeah, let's get these, let's get these done and move on to the next shot. Because it's usually it's like it was, it was hard. It was hard as an artist because you're like, man, this is this is for a film, and I want to pour as much love into this. Give me a day, give me two days for one shot, just so I can just make it perfect. But it's like, no, you got half a day, get it done, let's go. But yeah, it was it was it was a fun challenge and uh, um, really fun fun project. So yeah, we just as shots came in, we we were just jumping on shots um that got approved and there, there was and, and also too we kind of had to like not wait for the client in, in a lot of cases like yeah i was curious what the client involvement was like on the project right because i mean they're they're busy with the film right and um um they're trying to get the film finished and and and, and everything like that so like it's not like we had to check in with them every other day it was like maybe once a week maybe once every two weeks or so so we had to keep moving and like once we had style frames done and it was in like they approved the like the mood board the mood of it and and such and so um um we just started animating without having everything completely locked down and approved and so that because of that some things shifted and changed changed along the way <laughs> i remember there are like some deflating times where like uh there has to be a restructuring um also to uh, like the the names in the cre- oh this is like a funny story the names uh like say robert downey jr and um uh, zendaya and um probably saying her name right wrong my wife's gonna kill me um, <laughs> <laughs> um donald glover like all those names have to be um in a particular order and sometimes that order shifts so therefore the design shifts and like also too like every person has to have the equal amount of time on screen because the clients, like the, the agents, like Robert Downey Jr.'s agent would be upset if like, you know, Donald Glover's uh, name was on screen like 15 frames longer than 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 his or something like that. So like, they, yeah, they have to be like a specific amount of time. So like that was like a challenge in itself, like the structuring of the sequence where like, you know, the, the names have to be on there a particular uh, certain amount of time. Isn't there like size requirement? We, we've only pitched on end titles. We have yet to do one, maybe someday. But I remember they were, they were very particular also about size of like the typeface and everything too. Yeah, 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 100 percent. They're very particular, which is funny because like, man, like give us some feedback on the design. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Like, like <laughs> we're trying to give you some awesome stuff. Like this is like the, I don't know. You got like more legal the in here. Yeah, yeah le- exactly, exactly. Legal's, <laughs> legal's in the room. Give me all these, these feedback. Um, 
um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of I guess politics behind it, but thankfully, thankfully, you know, in, in that particular um, case, uh, the creativity the um, still showed through, um, still true to the um, final sequence. Are you uh, are you sick of Blitzkrieg Bop at this point, or? <laughs> Um, I'm not, I'm not. What a perfect <laughs> song. Both of the title sequences that you've worked on had the best music. I was like blown away by both of them in their entirety, but yeah. also like, man, what great tracks. Was that always the, uh, the music for, for both title sequences? It, it was. It was like one of the things that was locked down from the beginning, nice. which was interesting. Um, it's funny, that track, I, I played Tony Hawk on N64. Yes, yeah, and that song, that's where the first time I heard yeah, that song. And I was like, I was like, oh, wow, you're taking me back to like. So much, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What great times. Yeah, so then, then they brought you brought you back to work on uh, the Black Panther end titles. Um, was that a similar similar process? Yeah, so like both of those projects were completely different, man. Really? Um, yeah, um, I want to say Spider-Man Homecoming was challenging, but more of like a fluid process and and more forgiving you know obviously just by the nature of 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 the aesthetic of the piece yeah. you know um and so uh but um you know black panther was was more refined there's more technical aspects to it um black panther was one of the the hardest projects i've worked on in my career wow partly be too to like you know the pressure I'm putting on myself to like oh wow this is going to be like you know no 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 big deal like you know only like <laughs> Millions of people are going to see this, and then also too, like you know, like just trying to live up to the the quality um, that you know that is the film Black Panther. You know, so uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a different process. I came in to work with Perception to help them out on the prologue, the prologue sequence, and also too, just like a, as a side note, I'm I'm LA based at this particular time, and Perception is in New York, so like both occasions, I'm like going. Uh, going over there to, uh, to work on them for this particular project, but it's all, all worth it. Um, I'd like to think I'm on this podcast because of the, that project. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a incredibly challenging, um, because it was 3d creating a 3d animatic. If you've seen black Panther, you've seen the, the intro sequence. So like we were creating these 3d animatics, um, for what would be the prologue, uh, character animation, uh, figuring out the different compositions, and and we we got some storyboards from the client. We got some storyboards from the client, but um, we were tasked with essentially creating what these storyboards look like in three D space, and we were in some cases reimagining different shots and um, uh, adjusting the composition, then adjusting the storyline just a little bit, tweaking the storyline just a little bit, so that way things flowed. And uh, that's that's always challenging to do um to make things seamless inside feel seamless inside of 3d um versus like you know a 2d application uh, as that in spider-man um for example so um um yeah it was very challenging yeah well i mean just from a technical standpoint it seemed like there's some like fluid sims uh with kind of the like sand elements this all kind of technical aspects so just to be clear as far as how how that production went so we were tasked at perception was tasked with creating the prologue sequence mm -hmm. i mean it's the animatic for the prologue sequence it, so pretty much just like grayscale renders um placing t'challa um in front of the black panther or the five tribes coming to if you see the arms coming together uh descending yeah. on wakanda and everything like that so we weren't charged with the enormous task <laughs> of creating that prologue sequence uh, made out of out of sand for the for the prologue but um, Perception did do the uh, main on end title sequences 
um, which basically the first and the last thing you see we uh, um, got the opportunity to work on, which is pretty cool. But as far as the prologue sequence, we then handed it off to uh, Storm, uh, Storm Effects, um, who did oh, okay. the uh, final, right. ex- yeah, final execution for that, which is more so within their wheelhouse because they have uh, it, it, something like that to execute it at what you saw on screen required more of like a VFX pipeline. So, um, but at the same time, here's a funny story. So I, we worked on it for about over, over a month, the uh, animatic sequence. And I'm, I'm so surprised at how much we got done in that, that particular time. But we got feedback from the client um, saying, Hey, we showed, um, are very, very rough, very early animatic, right? It wasn't even the current animatic, but they showed a very rough animatic to like this friends and family screening. And uh, they came to the conclusion that the prologue sequence wasn't necessary. We don't need it. So we're going to kind of stop production. What? Yeah, stop production on this. And it was so deflating because I was like, oh my gosh, it's like poured so much. We all poured so much into this so much time working extra to uh, make this thing as beautiful as possible. We were getting good feedback. We thought things were going well and uh, um, pretty much, pretty much, pretty much killed the job. Even though it was, I want to say like 75 to 85% completed at that particular point in time. So I go in, I go in to pretty much the, the last month going into the movie thinking that, you know, the sequence that all the work that I did wasn't going to be salvaged. And then I got a little um, kind of like a bird kind of came into my ear, I got a little message from through the gate grapevine that, Hey, it looks like, looks like they took our sequence and they brought it to a, a VFX house and it stayed true. And they stayed true to like almost exactly to what we, uh, what we did, which was pretty awesome. So did you ever find out what brought it back? No, no, I, I've, I've yet to, I guess, the biggest thing I think that that worked against us was that they showed a very rough version of our animatic, which was like the very early, early, like, you know, maybe week one, week two in, into it um, to like this big screening where like they, they, they get feedback on their film and uh, um, things weren't even polished yet. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I can only I can only assume. But I, I, I'm happy they they made that decision because it's 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 pretty awesome to open the film up with that beautiful sequence. Yeah. Which credits credits again to uh, Storm Effects for doing an amazing job on on the execution of that. Yeah, and it's it's really cool. Uh, anyone listening, if you go, um, if you just like Google Perception Black Panther Prologue animatic, um, Perception posted the the animatic, uh, so it's yeah. super cool to see yeah. it. Uh, and they did a whole big write up on their site, which is super cool and very detailed on all the work that was done. Really cool look, kind of behind the scenes. So please go go check that out. Man, that's so fun. Well, sweet. I'd I'd love to to jump back in time. How? Oh, I understand you got into TV production back in high school. How did you think that right away in high school that this could become a, a career of yours one day? Yeah, man. Um, absolutely not. <laughs> well, I, I I say absolutely not in the sense of what I'm doing now. Yeah. Like I, I I like what I'm doing now. I could have never like really fathomed that it was really possible. But um, it was it's more like a dream. But I, I was like, man, be realistic, right? So uh, yeah, TV production. Actually, I took TV production for three years in high school, and the first two years I only took it for the sole reason that it was an easy A and it was a chill class nice. and it was an elective, right? So like uh, I remember my brother recommended, it was like, hey, you should take this class because it's super chill. They have a couch in the back, you can hang out and do it, like, whatever. You know, you can um watch do do uh watch TV and you can 
um, play video games and surf the internet or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's all I did for the my junior sophomore year. I think my junior year I had to turn in like my final assignment. I remember doing this crazy video just to get it done. But I basically I went into my senior year kind of having like this weird. I can't even call it a quarter life crisis because I was still a teenager at that time. But um, um, I thought people knew what they were going to be when they go to college. Like they, they had a major and they, they decide what they want to be. I thought people had it all figured out that that's what you do when you go to college and you go start studying for your career. So I was like, man, I got a year to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Like, or otherwise I'm going to be like a failure. <laughs> that's the, that's the thought. Um, I don't know why I had that thought where I got that. Like, apparently that's not the case at all. People go undeclared for uh, a long time. So, um, I just decided to try and take TV production seriously. Like, all right, I've been doing this. I actually, even though I've been kind of like, you know, being lazy about it, I actually do understand like the, the our editing suite that we had at that particular time and like how to how to record and on, on the camera and such. So I tried decided to take it seriously, and um, I got good at it. I started doing these football highlights in high school. Um, I got so good, I landed. I mean, landing the paper. Um, the local paper. Um, I was doing like these ESPN, NFL Network like highlights. I was trying to make my high school football highlights look like NFL films. If anybody ever watched NFL films on NFL Network or the ESPN, those ESPN type videos. So um, um, that eventually led me to get a job at. A, I went on to UCF, University of Central Florida, and I got a job at UCF Sports Video, where I kind of I met my first first After Effects artist there. I remember wanting to pick up After Effects just so that way I can um, make my video highlights better. And then as everybody's story or majority of the people's story, they, they land across this little website called videocopilot.net. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the rest is history. Um, just opened a whole new world of like, what? People are doing this? What? You can do this? And uh, yeah, and that just one thing led to another. I started focusing on that more. I eventually transferred to uh, Full Sail university i still didn't even know about motion graphics as an industry i just knew i wanted to go there and, and major in after effects i was like they're teaching after effects over there that's what i want to major in i want to do whatever andrew kramer's doing whatever he's doing yeah yeah and then um there my second month there is uh, i remember specifically the point in time when i knew what i wanted to do when i uh with my my career was when um jason whitmore uh studio owner of we are royale came he's also a full cell grad came in and and uh showed his demo reel what was it at the time 2000 2009 demo reel and wow, uh i'd love to see that <laughs> yeah and i remember like it was like andrew kramer but like like for commercials you know it was like 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 oh I, you can oh what all this time like because all the cool commercials you don't see on like national television they're not like broadcast like there's but there are all these really cool dope commercials like oh wow this this guy's making a living oh he has a studio he's actually doing this stuff for a living i remember that particular point in time was like all right this is what i want to do how is your family as far as like going in and pursuing art as a career right yeah so <laughs> nobody in my family makes a living making art right uh, so like it wasn't like there was like, oh, there's this person that's doing it. Maybe you could do it too. No, there was no example like that. And also, like, all we know as far as being an artist, we always know about the, the broke artist mentality, right? Like, you know, don't do this because there's no money in this or whatever. So uh, you'll, you'll, you'll starve. And, and so it was, it was very hard for me to pursue that seriously 
um, like the, I was told that you're always on the computer. Why don't you go into like computer science or information technology? And that's what I did when I went to UCF. I was I was majoring in computer science, minor in information technology. But um, I was trying to take like some film classes on the side just because like that could be a cool elective. And and uh, I was playing with After Effects on the side. It got to the point where like I was enjoying my job, which was uh, UCS Sports Video. I was enjoying that job so much to the point where like I was kind of like neglecting my grades. I was like, <laughs> yeah, like I was like this was it was a demanding job, but it was a fun job and one that I learned a whole heck of a lot on. My job was a cameraman. I was like I was supposed to I was filming football practice, which that was my job, but then I had a second job which wasn't paying, but it was like all like an internship where like volunteer like hey, if you want to get production experience, you can go to the production department. And I was just doing that on the side and learning after effects and I ended up, like, truth and honesty, I ended up uh, dropping out of UCF um, because I neglected my grades grade so much. And the job that I had for at UCF Sports Video was a scholarship. I was considered a student athlete, even though I was, like, a cameraman. I had a lot of benefits. It was kind of cool. Like, I'm a student athlete now that I think about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got all the benefits that other student athletes got. But, um, but obviously, as a student athlete, you have to maintain a particular GPA, and you can't exactly be a student athlete if you're not going to the school. So uh, I lost that job. And it was probably one of the lower points of, like, my life. It was just like, man, I, like, this – this job that I had, which was like my life and going to school, like I'm now I'm a college dropout. Uh, I'm on the verge of going back home. So I had a pivotal decision to make. I could go to Full Sail University, which was expensive. And um, as far as in the area, in the area, I had a lot of people who told me not to go there because they knew somebody who went there who has like this major debt hanging over their head and they're not doing any, anything in the industry. So um, I was afraid to go there because of the local reputation. But I mean, the people who are doing stuff in the industry aren't necessarily local. They're like in LA, New York, Atlanta, Chicago, you know? So um, I was there and it was, it was a tough decision, but I remember specifically thinking this, and this is what I tell all my, my, my cousins, like my friends that are, who, are, who are trying to decide what they want to do. And I remember specifically saying, if I can enjoy what I'm doing for the rest of my life, you know, if I can have this feeling that I have at night where the hours just pass by and I wonder where the hours went, if I could just have that feeling on a daily basis, I don't care how much money I make. I don't care if this if I'm going to be a broke artist. If I'm fulfilled, my good friend Sakani, who just I, I'm gonna use this phrase from now on. Um, uh, he says uh, you can't put a price on fulfillment. So um, I remember thinking, man, if I could be fulfilled, um, then that would be worth it for me. So, spoiler alert: you actually can make good money in this industry. So <laughs> that was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> uh, but at the time, I was like, I'm willing to be a broke artist if it means that I get to enjoy what I do. And so I went into full sell with this mentality where like, yeah, there's probably people who go to art school and who aren't successful. And maybe there's a lot of people who go to art school who aren't successful. So therefore, if I want to be successful, I know that I need to be in that small percentage of people that are successful because obviously I see Jason Whitmore, he's in LA and he's, he's, he's doing it. So obviously you can be successful and you, you can, you can make uh, a living. So I know that Apparently, the people aren't making it in art school, which is, is sad, but true. Like, majority of the people that were in my class that I graduated with aren't in the industry anymore. So, uh, the statistics is true, you know? 
there's a scary saying, which is true, but like majority of the students at school um, are there to keep the lights on and a small percentage actually get the jobs. Um, and that's, that's unfortunate. That's just kind of like nature. But I think the biggest thing is just to be aware of that. I think I was aware of that going into school. I was aware of like, man, there's, there's a small percentage of people that will, 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 will make it out there. So I need to work that much harder to make sure, to ensure that I'm in, I'm in this, this small percentage. Cause there was no plan B, you know, like I was taking a major risk going against what my family told me not to do. And, and friends told me not to do, I can't tell you how many people told, told me not to go to art school. So I, I had reached failure at that particular point in time. And I used that as motivation to try and be successful. Talk a little bit about how that, how that motivated you um, to kind of continue and, and keep getting better. Yeah. Well, like I had no plan B. So like uh, this, I had, I had to make this, this work. There I had a number of reasons why, you know, like I couldn't take out a loan to go to school. So I had to get my mom to take out a loan in her name. And it, uh, it took over a year, um, for that to happen to kind of like break her down enough to, uh, to finally let, let her, uh, let me, let me go to school there. So like, once I got there, I didn't take it for granted. You know, I knew like, I, yeah, like it took me so long to get here. And, um, um, I had dropped out of school now. I, I wanted to make her proud, you know, and I wanted to show that, you know, that I actually, I actually can do this. And, and the last thing I wanted was like struggle to find a job, you know, like I had, I had friends who were, who went to school and like, were posting on Facebook saying like, Hey, I applied for my, 50th job you know like i'm couch surfing or whatever and i was like man that's not the future that i want for me and that's not what i mean it's incredibly unfortunate but i want to want, want this to work and so like that was that was the motivation motivating force behind behind wanting to be to make it through school you know and it was hard and i just tried to work my butt off to 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 make sure that you know this this risk this investment that i'm making in myself this bet this bet that i'm taking on myself uh works out because i again i didn't know anybody i i I didn't know anybody that was doing it and i had no contacts and i had no evidence i had no evidence that this could work out you know but i'm I'm thankful now because i'm 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 the evidence to like my family and like 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 i just had a family reunion like some of the uh some aunts uncles were like hey can you talk to so-and-so or whatever (laughs) that's awesome Want want you to see that you know if you do something, work hard at something, you can make it. So, so while we're on the subject of of college and and full sale, I mean, you've you've now taught at at Otis. Um, you've taught uh, and and been a big part of MoGraph Mentor. So, I'd, I'd love to get a little bit of your perspective on on education, uh, especially when trying to enter a creative field, um, maybe even specifically animation. I've been teaching since what was it, 2014, and uh, um, just to get a give you a little picture as far as my age, I was I was 24 at the time when I started teaching. <laughs> nice. So um, um, I started off at MoGraph Mentor, and uh, the whole reason why I wanted to get into teaching was because there's a saying that says, "Those who know, they do, and those who understand, they teach." Right, and so. Obviously, at 24 years old, had a lot 
to understand and a lot to learn or whatever, but it was more so like as an aspirational thing. Like I want to, I want to understand my craft more, you know, I want to understand. Um, and I feel like it makes sense that it, it's, it's so true to be able to teach something. You really got to understand, you know, it's, it's one thing to know how to use the graph editor, but how do you, how do you explain the graph editor to somebody who's never used it before? You know, like you really got to understand how it works and you got to understand like the, the mistakes that beginners can make um and try and show them like hey this is how you kind of circumvent that even though it's like second nature to you it might not be second nature to somebody else so like through teaching i've learned so much about my craft that's just one of the reasons why i do it uh, students teach me um a heck of a heck of a lot because they ask me questions that sometimes i don't even know the answers to but um if i can't answer it, i remember like i remember if i can't answer it right then and there then I tell my students this all the time, then that's my homework for the week. And then when we meet up again, like that's, I guarantee you I'll find the answer or I'll find somebody who does know the answer. And so there at the same time, I'm learning something new uh, while I'm teaching them. So it's so mutual. Like the students get, get obviously get a lot out of it and I get a lot out of it as well. Yeah. You just get more comfortable with public speaking. Um, like if I hadn't taught, before then i don't think like i would be as comfortable to uh to come on this podcast let me ask you this i'm gonna put you on the spot um zach how many people turn you down for doing doing this particular podcast including just like no responses probably a third of the people i reach out to just uh either you know schedule conflicts or don't want to or well, like for a lot of reasons, whenever I try to encourage people to teach, they always say, oh, like I'm too shy or I can never do that or like, or um, I'm not good at speaking or whatever. They say like uh, um, public speaking, people fear that more than deaf, you know? Like, Oh yeah, man. <laughs> so like, it's one of those things where like, oddly enough, it was one thing that I wanted to try and pursue to try and get better at. It's like, oh, I want to get more comfortable speaking in front of people and um that's that's another added benefit you know um and uh you you learn so much from the students and students have great ideas man it sounds crazy to say like they have the best intentions they have so many cool ideas they just might not necessarily know how to make it as awesome as their ideas are so like um they inspire me with some of the some of the things that they they try to do and try to execute and um, um, you get better at critiquing work, you know, like, um, which is awesome. You, you have a better understanding of, you might know how to do something, but, but why, why do you do this particular thing? You know, it's so many, so many different benefits and reasons why, um, I got into, uh, um, teaching. And, and of course, probably the biggest reason is, uh, uh, free Adobe creative cloud. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> One of those other added benefits. Yeah, there are some people who listen to this who, you know, are, are just starting out. But then also, like, I, I fairly regularly, you know, friends or, or people on the internet are just like, what should I do? Like, you know, I'm in high school and I, I like drawing. Um, with the perspective that you have, um, what do you tell people when they ask that? I think one of the biggest benefits that I got before going to school is that I dabbled with this stuff. I was like, I played with this stuff and I got better at this stuff. And I actually got familiar with the tools um, before even going into school. So I would highly recommend that if you're thinking about going to school, there's this debate now, whether like, especially with art in general, like, you know, is school necessary, this, that, and the other. And, you know, we can have that conversation a little bit later, but like more so like if, let's say if you are kind of like interested in going to school, I think the biggest thing you can do is learn the tools before you get to school because, you can learn the school tools anywhere. Yeah. There's too many tutorials online to learn the tools, right? 
to learn, get familiar with the tools. So that way, when you get to school, you can hit the ground running and just focus on like all right, making projects, uh, becoming a better designer, learn, learning, focusing on the theory and applying these 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 new principles that school is giving you um, with the technical knowledge that you already have. Because you, do, if you're going to school just to learn After Effects, like I said, <laughs> um, or Photoshop, then you're you're wasting your money. Like go to school. To, to learn the principles, the things that doesn't change, the things that's hard, the things that, like, how many tutorials do you see online about color theory or, like, the animation principles or, like, concepts uh, development and all these, all these other particular things, you know, like, there's not a whole heck of a lot because that's harder, that's harder to teach in 30 minutes, you know, that, that requires a little bit longer. So, and that also, too, will be, like, proof and evidence that this is something that you don't have to necessarily be passionate about but at least interested in you know like i feel like passion you develop over time you know but like i think you at least have to be have to be something you're interested in i think it would be beneficial for you to go to school with some prior uh at least some what of a hint of idea of what you want to do and then try and learn those tools before you get to school so that way or at least early on in school so that way you're not hindered by the tools once you get into like those portfolio classes and like those those classes where you have assignments and stuff like that where you're like you're not you're not banging your head up against the wall which you always will do but like um i I think that was what i'm trying to say is that was my probably competitive advantage when i got to school was that you know i uh I only really knew After Effects. I didn't know Photoshop and Illustrator. Um, I remember we did a pen tool assignment, and I finished like like an hour faster than everybody else because <laughs> uh, I was familiar with the pen tool inside of After Effects. Um, and I remember wanting to do all my designs inside of After Effects, like Photoshop. Psh, I don't need Photoshop. I got After Effects. Um, but still, like it was way easier to pick up those tools, obviously because of Adobe, and uh, that was my competitive advantage because I I can focus on projects the concepts the theories the principles um and getting better at those yeah so on that note of your own kind of personal development um you did an interview with voyage la um, and you mentioned ira glass's talk the gap um and so in in regards to that do you do you feel that gap closing uh is is my question but i also if if you could kind of summarize that talk uh briefly for those who might not know right yeah so ira glasses um talk about the gap basically is talking about how we, when we're first getting started, have great taste. We have killer taste, right? Like we see something that we we like and we're like, man, that's, we identify something that looks beautiful. It's like, man, that's what I want to do. And then once you get started, you know, uh, you attempt to try and create work that reaches that particular level of expertise or that particular level of finish or polish. And it doesn't live up to that, you know, and that's because there's a gap between where that person is and where you are. And that gap could be years of experience, you know, what a lot of people do once they hit that wall, realizing, man, my work isn't as great as my hero's work. What they do is they either quit and give up or they continue pushing forward and start closing that gap. And those who realize at a young age that it's going to take time to close that gap. Those who realize at a young age that you know it's it's about the marathon, not the sprint. And you continue working. It's uh, the the biggest thing is to not compare yourself to like your heroes, but compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Did you progress? Did you make did you make progress today? Were you better today than you were yesterday? Those incremental progress that you make 
they start adding up. They start stacking up over 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 time. And um, one thing that a lot of students tend to do is they try to they try to skip that gap. They try to skip the steps. And one way they try to do that is by like trying to buy the latest equipment or buy the latest software or or asking their heroes what software do you use. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> classic question right so like they think if they get the answer to that then that's going to bring them closer to where their heroes are but that's not true that's not the case like getting the latest plug-in or like um or getting the the beefiest machine with the most cores and like the most ram and like um the latest gpu or whatever the, I, if i get the tools if i get like just like photography if i get the the camera that the pros are using then i'm going to be a professional but that's not the case you know it 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 requires time and lots of effort and years of experience to close that gap and so i i think that's important a huge thing for uh, uh students who are getting started to realize that um it, it takes time i've been doing this i first picked up after effects in um 2008 so this summer is going to be 10 years and um it's crazy to think like i've been doing something for 10 years like i like that, that's so crazy to think um I just imagine all the experiences you get in and and you can get in 10 years and just think about all the work that I've put in like somebody sees might see me on like Spider-Man or like um Black Panther but uh it took a long time to get to this particular point in time I've kind of doubled up on my experience in a lot of ways I I would work on projects during the day at at, at Royale and then come home and work on my personal projects at night um it's a time thing. I think just if you if you work on this thing as much as possible over a long period of time, you have no choice but to grow and get better and start closing that gap, getting closer to where your uh, your heroes are. There's a funny thing that I've noticed about that gap, though, is that as you continue down, you know, as, as you continue to get better, you also develop your your taste as well. You you start to notice things that you never noticed before. In my experience, it's been it's been almost a you know you keep closing in on the last like kind of markers you set for yourself, but then the gap just widens again. Do you feel this way at all? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I mean, to get to this point in my career, like I feel like I'm, I'm an artist. So like artists, true artists are always striving to, to get better and create work that's better than, than their last piece. And so, um, there's always somebody who's better than me and who's always doing crushing it, killing it, uh, doing amazing work. And it's like, Oh wow. Like there's, I got, I still got a lot, to learn the, the more the more you know i think the the more you realize you don't know like the more you realize there's so much more to learn this thing is like so infinite i feel so fortunate to be in the industry where like you know i can go in and do something completely different like i've never done before um and learn something completely new even though i've been doing this for 10 years you know like uh, there's ch- new challenges every single day and i can find myself in some particular realm that you know, I never thought I could, I could, I, I could be in. So there's always room for development and growth to push yourself. Having that beginner's mindset, I think, is important to have. Not looking at yourself as an expert. Uh, beginners are always have like that thirst for knowledge. You know, so always keeping that. I, that's at least that's what I try to do. Always keeping that. Um, because there's always there's always somebody who's better than you. There's always ways to grow and get better. And I'm yeah, like as 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 I progress in my career, um. I, I truly honestly feel like there's so much more that I still need to learn. Let's take a pin in that because I definitely want to come back to kind of your own personal development and things you're learning right now. But let's let's bring us up to now. Um, you right out of school got got an internship and then eventually a full time staff position at at We Are Royale. Tell us a little bit about that time. It's just like so fitting, right? That uh, 
the um, the company that I was like admiring and adoring when I first got to Full Sail, only dreamed of like one day working at, um, was the place that I ended up working at, right? Obviously, because of that Full Sail connection, Jason Whitmore came back. He does an awesome job, job going back to the school and talking to the students. And I got an opportunity to show him my work. And he uh, he offered me a uh, an internship um, at a school. And uh, it was like my dream. It's funny because I'm in Florida. Internship was in LA, and like I remember there being hesitation with my uh, my family. Um, like, oh, California. Who's in California? You know, like what? What? <laughs> like nobody's in California because everybody's in Florida. Like all my family's in yeah. Florida. And so the thought of like somebody going that far away from home was like mind boggling. Right. I'm also, I'm, I'm Haitian American. I'm of Haitian descent. So like that, that's where that comes from. You know, like everybody's close to uh, either in Florida, um, uh, central Florida, South Florida, close to the, to the motherlands of Haiti. Right. So the thought of somebody going to California is like, what's in California? What, what are you talking about? But um, thankfully I got awesome supportive parents who uh, trust that I uh, knew what I was doing even though I really, at the time, was like scared out of my mind. But I was like, this is something I have to do. And so, yeah, I, I went out there. I got an internship uh, at Royale. worked, interned for them for three months and later went on staff with them. And uh, um, went staff for five years, learning, like kind of like having a place to kind of like grind my teeth and just like make mistakes and, and learn from some awesome people who I'd love to shout out, like Mike Humphrey. I sat next to that guy uh, my whole career. And he just taught me so much. Renzo Reyes, Juliet, uh, Jonathan Kim, who's a mentor of mine. And he just taught me so much. Um, obviously, Jason Whitmore, Brian Holman, um, Andy Lyon, James Ramirez, Kyle Smith, um, all these different guys who were just came through the studio. And I, I got to learn from and learn so much from and ask so many questions, even though uh, I probably bug them a little bit too much sometimes, but they were always, they would always get back to me. And um, um, specifically, Jonathan Kim, seeing how hungry and ambitious I was and him trying to throw some projects my way so I can kind of like, oh, this guy's young and hungry. Let's see what he can do. And uh, uh, really testing me and pushing me. And um, yeah, I, I just, just learned so much working there. You mentioned, um, Having a mentor, I, I sorry, I, I was trying to write down his name, but I didn't want to get it wrong. But is Jonathan Kim? Yeah, is 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 that something that you specifically pursued, or is that something that kind of developed over time? It was a little bit of both. Um, Jonathan Kim is the most talented designer I've ever worked with, and more than that, I'm so humble and grateful to call him a good friend and a and a mentor. Um, there, there never was this exchange where like, you know what, Hendel, I'm going to mentor you. It wasn't like that, you know, because I mean, frankly, we saw each other every single day. So it wasn't like, you know, I think he just saw how hungry I was and I, I was always peeking over his shoulder and asking him questions. He, he, thankfully kudos to him. Some people will kind of like get turned off by that. Some people like don't like being bothered when they're working. Like John DeKim was so open and gracious with his time and answering a lot of my questions. Um, I uh, learned so much about Photoshop and design from him. Yeah, definitely taking the initiative for me to uh, ask this person that I saw that was like a hero of mine and an amazing designer, like asking him a lot of questions and just him being gracious enough to answer those questions. And then him looking out for me and like, man, I, I really want to, you guys are working on this Nike project. Can I do the end tag? And he like him, remember he hit up our producer and was like, hey, this, 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 he wants to do the end tag, you know, 
where early on in the project, maybe we can throw him the in tag, see what he can do. And uh, it was just stuff like that where like, okay, I, and I would knock that out and they'd like it. And then I was like, okay, let's see what else he, he can do. And then um, um, him trying to give me these different assignments, uh, which were, which were, which were really cool. And I learned so much through that process. And then I understand you made the, after your, your time at We Are Royale, you made the jump to freelance? Yeah. So I went freelance 2016. I, I have to say, I enjoyed my time so much at Royale. Um, oh, should I tell this story? Um, Go for it. Okay. All right. I'll, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, I could have easily stayed at Royale for a lot longer. I think the company culture is just so huge um, and you just enjoy, enjoy the place so much. But Jonathan Kim had uh, had moved on. He uh, he went back to New York. He started his own company. Uh, funny thing is, so I was at I was staff at Royale, and then he reaches out to me and he's like, "Hey, we have this job coming in. We'd love to bring you in on." It starts in August, which is like a two months away from now. It's like, would you be interested in coming up here to uh, freelance with us? Knowing knowingly, intentionally knowing that I'm staff at Royale. And um, <laughs> please, Royale, don't 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 hate me for this for saying this, but um, yeah, he was the one responsible for like kind of like really pushing me over the edge. I had already been entertaining the idea, but I was I was I was pretty comfortable. I think that's probably like the the thing I'm I'm most felt grateful for is that he kind of kind of really pushed me to kind of like you know get out of my comfort zone because I think um, I think you can do that. Um, staying at a one particular place for uh, for a while, more so you have to take a lot of initiative to get yourself out of that comfort zone. Which I did. I tried to continue to push myself in personal projects. But I think if you stay at one particular place in time, you can be get comfortable and kind of get into like that uh, that routine. So I think uh, in this particular time, especially just being young and having never worked anywhere else, um, it was the right move to make. And uh, Jonathan Kim was the one who kind of like pushed me to go freelance. So yeah, I've been freelancing for uh, since 2016, so two years now, and um, freelance around different shops in LA. Eventually landing here up north in Northern California in the the Bay Area. Um, currently, currently working at Apple. I'm curious actually about your what your time at Apple has been like. Uh, I know you can't talk about too much um with apple being famously uh, very secretive about things but even just like a culture difference between kind of working in la on kind of um you know freelance and also studio studio work i, I imagine it's a bit different right yeah like the work the, the work life balance is is different as well um uh, but yeah the work in particular is definitely a bit of a shift from studio life back in la for one we have more time on projects, you know, um, we spend a lot more time developing ideas. Uh, you can think of Apple working at Apple was like almost similar to an agency a little bit, but in the sense that, you know, this particular, they are the client. So, um, we spend a lot of time just developing and refining the, um, the, uh, the idea, um, more so than you, uh, you would have at back at a studio. Sometimes studio work, the idea is already thought through and they're just coming to you to execute. Whereas in here, it's just kind of like at the top level where like we're creating it from its inception, uh, pitching different ideas. Um, Apple's the only place, I tell the story a lot, Apple's the only place where like, you know, I'll come in with three ideas into a meeting 
and then walk out of that same meeting with those same three ideas. We're like, these ideas are great. Keep moving forward. So, uh, and it, I mean, obviously Apple, you know, they, they are the clients, so they have the luxury to be able to do that. That I think is the biggest shift for me is like thinking more conceptually and also having a reason behind everything. Everything has to have a reason. Everything has, uh, and to answer one of your questions, like, you know, what am I learning? I think that's the biggest thing I'm learning now is like to be more conceptual. Uh, it can't just look pretty, you know, it has to have a reason. How does it tie back to the uh, logo? How does it tie back to the brand? How does it tie back to the operating system? Like everything has a reasoning behind it. Um, and it's sometimes painful because sometimes you create like this beautiful animation or this beautiful frame, but um, if it's not speaking directly to a particular concept or if it's just something that's visually pleasing, it can it can kind of be like they can trim the fat pretty easily on that particular shot or that particular piece. It's painful, but it's something that I'm coming becoming more um, to realize that, you know, okay, yeah, this 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 makes sense. Like, you know, like we we actually at the end of the day don't need this, even if it just looks beautiful. Has that had any influence on your process at all then? Um, yeah, like it's it the the whole process as far as being here at Apple has has very much made me think, you know, concept more conceptually. Like, you know, I think more so like now like I was very much focused on tutorials um a lot early on in my, my career. And I still do every now and now and again, but more so now I'm more interested in ideas, like gathering up ideas, gathering up inspirations. How can I kind of help create this concept? Um, so that way, like, because I'm, I mean, I'm going up against some other guys here who are like amazing at that, like putting together mood boards and pitch decks and like getting better at writing, um, um, writing treatments. Uh, like you, you not only have, you can't just put images in front of your creative director. You got to have a treatment underneath it to explain what's the logic behind um, this direction that you're pitching in. And so, like, it's kind of forced me to step my game up in the way I approach my idea. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the bigger things that I'm learning more. So, is like you know, developing ideas further. And there's a sense of pride at, at Apple with that. You know, like the creative thinker. You know, like that's kind of more so like the dynamic. Apple and not so much execution, you know, because a lot of times we go to uh, um, different vendors to execute the idea that we've been thinking about for like three, four or five months, you know. So um, that's definitely a, a big shift because I, I love, I absolutely love executing. Love it. Um, obviously, just tell with the portfolio and me documenting my process. But um, this is probably an area of my um, skill set that probably needs to be more developed and it isn't as strong. And thankfully, coming here is kind of helping me, helping me do that. Uh, you just mentioned there that you uh, like to document your your process. We talked a little bit before we started recording about your um, kind of obsession with lists. Uh, could you talk a little about that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I love documenting. I love documenting my process. I'm kind of obsessive about it about documenting things just in general whether it be creatively but whether it just be like life life events in general uh i have i've been taking screen grabs i recently spoke at f5 and this is the first time that i showed this to anybody outside of like a few friends but i put together this this reel of screen grabs i've been taking screen grabs of every single project i've worked on since 2012 it was cool because I was able to use that as evidence that, hey, you might see me, you might see on my portfolio that I worked on Black Panther and Spider-Man, but here's this dog food commercial that I worked on <laughs> yeah. where, back in like 2013. And like I actually, I literally created a direct link um, in my F5 presentation 
where like this dog food commercial was the first time that I ever attempted projection mapping. And even though uh, the, it was a probably a stereotypical, not probably, definitely was a stereotypical job where I could probably <laughs> just coast through. I could have just went on autopilot and just got it done. It would just, it just needed to be a 2D card instead of After Effects. But because I had some extra time, I tried to try and, you know, have that beginner's mindset, try and learn something new and try and get something out of this job. If I'm going to work on this job, well, at least, I mean, it makes sense to at least try and get something out of it. So I brought it into 3D, even though it wasn't required of me, um, and started uh, playing with projection mapping for the first time. And I remember specifically, um, learning a whole heck of a lot on that job. And if I hadn't done that, who knows? I might may not have been able to execute Spider-Man Homecoming at the level of expertise that I did because um, I was using those same projection mapping techniques that, that I learned on that dog food commercial back in the day. So, uh, uh, yeah, like yeah, I, I, I've been taking screen grabs of all kinds of all my process. And I just also, too, just having a, just the obsession of like lists. Like I have, I have a list for like all kinds of different things. Uh, I have a list of my favorite podcast episodes that I've listened to from like all the different podcasts that I listen to. I have a list of my favorite movies. I have a list of my favorite TV shows, um, movies to watch. I have a list of all the books I've ever read since I can remember. A to-do list of books to read. Um, places I've traveled. So I have a list of like all the places I've traveled since I can remember. And obviously a list of where I want to travel to. Um, I have a to-do list and a today list, which are two separate things. If you want to know more about that next time you see me, I can tell you more about that. But um, I can tell you every single thing that I've done on any day since 2015 because I archived my to-do list. I have a list of all the different memories that I can remember. Um, <laughs> what does that look like? That- like significant memories. Like, okay, so like you did something when you were five years old in elementary mm-hmm. school. like, Or like maybe you uh, – you, like. Perfect example. The reason why I decided to do this is like whenever you go somewhere, like let's say you go back to your hometown or go back to your your, your grandparents' home or something like that, you go into that particular location, it triggers so many memories that you completely forgot of because you see something like, oh, shoot, I remember that. And so like that lives in the back of your mind, vaguely in the back of your line or whatever. So I was like, man, I don't, I, I wonder how many of these memories that I, I forgot about. So like I started writing them down instead of just reminiscing on them, started writing them down. So now I have like this document of memories, literally recounting my whole life. Um, like literally, literally I have a down to UCF days, full cell, um, down to like Royale and like, high school, middle school. So like I have all these significant, significant, like my first uh, interception when I played football in high school, like I, where I was or whatever, you know, like all these different um, um, memories that I have. And also too, like, all right, here, Zach, let me, let me do an experiment on you on, right. on this podcast. Uh, where were you uh, New Year's Day 2013? 2013, let's see, year after college. I was on Music Row, actually, on top of a parking garage with some friends, actually. All right. Awesome. So, like, that's a memory that you have to recount. But, like, like I actually was trying to stump you. Obviously, did. You obviously <laughs> I'm really long, surprised like, I remember that. <laughs> but, like, I have – so, like, I have a, a list of all the different – New Year's Day every single day that I can rem- I remember uh, since 2007 and a couple – like, in, in a row. It gets a little vague past that, but – um. Um, yeah, it's just all these kind of memories that I, I've, I've been keeping track of just because, you know, that's just just a weird thing that I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I have like this obsession of documenting 
kind of like my life, but also my process as an animation, an animation as a as a creative. I have this ambitious project where I want to document every single project that I worked on and kind of see like this, like you know, infographic of like the crappy first job that I worked on all the way up until like Black Panther and all the projects in between there. So. Is your desktop just a mess all the time? Because with all those screenshots? No, no, I, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty organized <laughs> with this stuff. Well, I bet I imagine you'd have to be like, is this like written written down, or do you use like Evernote or something? Evernote, Evernote, yeah, Evernote. No, I'm I'm a huge fan of Evernote. I, I joke around and say like my Evernotes have Evernotes because I, I just have <laughs> I organize all this stuff on Evernote. So you've had quite. Um, a bit of different perspective uh, in this industry. You've been teacher, studio, freelance, um, work at a big tech company uh, now. Would you have any ad- advice for people maybe going um, into any of these particular um, stages, knowing that what you know now from this kind of grand uh, scope? It's real important to do... Well, here, this is the, the, the caveat I'll say. It's like I, I can only speak from my experience, right? So like everybody has different experiences, but for me, for me, like doing personal projects was huge for my career because it got me to, um, and it took me a while to think like this, right? Um, I got to credit two good friends, Brett Morris and Chris Gill, um, who, who, who told me that, you know, yeah, you're a senior, you know, you're a senior artist. And, uh, it took me a while to get to, to accept that as a, as a thing, because I, in my eyes, I viewed senior as being a certain number of years of experience, but that's not the case in the, the motion design and creative aspects. You can be like 28 year old senior, or you can be like, uh, a 35 year old junior, you know, like, if you think about it, like some people might get one year of experience that they that, that they use over and over and over and over again, and really they just stay at that particular junior level. Um, and uh, whereas in somebody can kind of close that gap quicker by getting you know experience during the day and then like in their leisurely time getting experience um, then, and so like they're adding on experience years of experience that and kind of closing that gap quicker. So I think I've closed that gap quicker because. Um, of the personal projects that I I, uh, I tried to be a part of, uh, you know, contributing to like animation and motion, um, those social projects, you know, like Blendfest, Blendimation, Chainimation, and like Nine Squares, and like 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 Thirty Six Days of Type, and like all these different kind of cool little little projects, collaborating with other artists just for the heck of just trying to create something cool. Um, that was huge for me um, getting to where I'm at today is because, you know, I was able to get to where I'm at quicker because I was working on more stuff than, I guess, the average pace that it takes to get to this particular level, you know. And I think uh, an important thing, too, as for people getting started, um, something that just kind of like I'm – the more experience I get in this industry, the more I'm realizing now, like, you know, like understanding your worth and your value. I think that's really important coming out of school because, uh, you know, some students can be undervalued and they can come in at a particular level and sometimes stay at that particular level as far as value. So I think it's important to be transparent as far as talking to other artists and getting their perspective on like, okay, yeah, like, um, how much should I charge if like, you know, I'm a freelancer with this much experience and like, this is my portfolio or like, I'm just getting out of school as a freelance here. Like how much should I 
what should my salary be around roughly if I'm a staff artist or like, okay, I've been, okay, what's like the medium? And I feel like the freelance community does a great job sharing those numbers. It's kind of like almost like this underground union, you know, but I think like, uh, I think staff artists could do, do a better job of being transparent about like, you know, those particular rates and salaries and such, just to avoid undervaluing yourself and just kind of like, uh, realizing realizing that you know um, I think once you start bringing value to your studio and start bringing value to the customer um, and start proving obviously you got to prove yourself you know prove your worth first but realize that you know like after a particular point in time you know like you know your value increases your stock increases over time and and uh, not to get too pinned to hold like for example an intern it might be hard for an intern to start leveling up and increasing their value because sometimes they might be saw as like, oh, okay, that was the intern, even though they've been here for a particular point in t- number of time or whatever that was, they come in as a particular intern and realize that, you know, no, like this, there's value that I'm bringing and demand that value. If you're bringing, if you're bringing the goods to the table, you know, just um, make sure you, you have something to show for it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of different things. Um, people who are starting out or, or in the industry should do. And this is just all speaking from, you know, experience and like, but yeah. I'm curious, you, you said a little while ago, you said you can't put a price on fulfillment. I think that might've been, been your friend's quote, but I'm curious what that has looked like for you over the years. Um, when you, you know, get into a new job, I don't know, have you felt fulfilled by your work and, and, uh, just tell me a little bit about that. Fulfillment is different, is defined differently depending on who you ask. And for me, like, I think some people fall into this industry or some people look at this industry as a job, like a, re- a traditional job, a regular job, regular nine to five. Um, and uh, for them, for some people, fulfillment is like, you know, uh, you know, working, making, making a living and be able to support your family. Uh, which of course everybody wants that, but, but like, you know, going home on time and not necessarily like, you know, caring too much about what you do in between, you know, like, you know, clocking in, clocking out some people that for them is like the ultimate fulfillment. And for me, like the way I got into this is, is that again, I, I kind of was very passionate about this industry and needed to be, to be able to, to make it because I'm coming from this part of the world where like, you know, like there's nobody doing this stuff. So I really let this stuff, like I was immersed in this stuff. Like literally it was kind of like, you know, I would work on it during the day, work at night when I was in school. I, I, to this day, I've never worked harder than the time that I worked when I was in school. And through that, I developed such a passion for this industry. Like I I looked up to like Jason Whitmore and Royale and like the work that they were doing. And I was like, I, I really strongly desired to create work like that. And so until I was creating work like that, like I wasn't incredibly fulfilled from the time that I, I was, you know, going into work until I started creating work like that. Um, and so like that was, that was fulfillment for me very much. So it's to be able to work on a job that you're, you're, uh, you're incredibly proud of. I think the biggest fulfillment for me is to have something to show people that's yours and something that you worked on and that you helped create. That's huge. I think, you know, how you define fulfillment is up to you, but um, being able to enjoy what you do at work every day and being able to learn something new and, and have new challenges 
is incredibly fulfilling for me. And that's something that I, I have a hard time compromising with. I think if I'm not being challenged, if I'm not being pushed, if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing during the day, I think I've acquired enough career capital to be able to like, you know, go to a place that allows me to do that. Well, we try to end each episode with the same few questions. Uh, the first being, who is your dream client? I'd like to answer this by saying more so who is my, what's my dream project. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's weird to say dream project because it, I feel like anybody could, could do this. But um, it's more so a dream project that I'm trying to do more of now is to uh, use my animation for good. I'm um, using my skills to make an in- impact, to, to benefit a particular cause or to shine a spotlight on a particular issue. That's more so what is my dream project because that is like to me the ultimate fulfillment is to be able to work on something awesome and then know that it can it lives beyond just like you know can live on and can continue to make an impact uh one thing us as artists is that we may underestimate is the power that we have in animation right like we we speak the language of this current generation right that consumes media we speak it and uh, we speak it better than some of the other outlets and um that are using it and so there's power in that there's value in that think about like you know russia and how they're, they're, they they use ads to influence mm. the election right like that's that's yeah. huge and and we could be using our skills to be doing doing good uh like perfect example it's a small example super small example but just an example of something that i want to do more of uh, a couple weeks ago uh, I was, we were in a meeting and, uh, we were looking at a calendar cause we were trying to, we finished our meeting. We were trying to schedule our next meeting. We were looking at the calendar. And then one of my coworkers said, uh, what's Juneteenth? And another coworker said, I don't even know. And then I felt compelled to interject and be like, oh, well, I think this might be a perfect opportunity. Uh, I educated them on what Juneteenth was. And I was like, and for those who don't know, Juneteenth is the celebration of the day that slavery was uh, abolished. And so for a lot of people, they think that July 4th is Independence Day, which for America it is, but for African Americans, it wasn't. We weren't freed um, until 100, 100 years later after that on June 19th, uh, 1865. So um, after having that experience, I was like, man, I think I felt, I've never felt more compelled to do an animation after that experience. Like, man, I should really create an animation that's going to raise awareness of the holiday of Juneteenth. So I, I remember it was only like four days until Juneteenth. So I, I got a designer. She worked two days on the animation and I got my sister to help me out. And we put this Juneteenth animation together and we shared it on on the social medias. I remember somebody retweeting it think, saying, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I've lived this long and never have heard about this important holiday. Thank you, Hindel, for sharing that and this and the other. I was like, that was like incredibly special for me to think. And it's something I want to do more of. Just Erica Garachow, her speech at Blindfest, you know, um, and uh, Sander and his, his speech and what he's working on as far as, you know, tackling obesity and um, unhealthy, our unhealthy diet, obsession of unhealthy diet in America and how we as artists tend to advertise things that aren't exactly, you know, great for society. So yeah, that's what I want to start doing more of is more projects that have an impact and using my skills for good. All right. Next question, your favorite animated film. So as you know, I, uh, I'm obsessed with lists. The lists. 
So, uh, well, here, sorry, I'll make this as brief as possible, but <laughs> literally from the first episode of Animalators with Colin Hesterly, who's a good friend of mine who also went to uh, Full Sail, we went to school together. Um, when you asked him that question, I remember asking myself that question and thinking, man, I'm having a hard time, so I got to make a list, of course. And so I made a list of like all my favorite movies, and I had a hard time doing it down to one. But um, the answer is uh, The Prince of Egypt. Nice. Um, which Solid choice. An amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, it has one of the best soundtracks of all time. Literally, in my humble opinion, the best soundtrack of any movie I've ever watched. Wow. Yeah, Prince of Egypt is, is amazing. And um, if I can quickly... Close second would be Mulan. Uh, a close third would be Iron Giant. And then The Brave Little Toaster, Emperor's Groove, Atlantis, Lost Empire, Road to El Dorado, The Incredibles, Balto, uh, James and the Giant Peach, The Physical Me, and the, the list goes on. Sorry. Okay. Wow. Hey, I mean, I knew you'd have a list. That's awesome. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's a lot longer than that, but <laughs> sure. I, I won't bore you guys. With <laughs> all right. Next question. What do the people you love think that you do all day? My family gets what I do for the most part. My immediate family, my mom, my dad. Um, my mom shares the heck out of anything <laughs> that I, I, I do. Nice. She she sings my praises and will brag more than I ever will as far as when it comes to my work. Were they freaking out when uh, when Spider-Man and, and Black Panther and stuff, credits on the screen and stuff? Yeah, my family think I made the whole <laughs> film. Um, I think I directed, they think I starred in it. <laughs> I went to a family reunion. And my little niece was like, "Do you know? Do you know Lupita? Can can you give me?" It's like all these different things. Oh, so like, yeah, um, yeah. My family thinks that I made made um, Black Panther, but uh, yeah, for the most part, they they get what I do. All right, last question: What animal did you choose for your animal leader, and why? Yes, so I chose to go with a night owl, uh, mainly because I'm a night owl. I uh, enjoyed working late at night um, on my stuff and also too early mornings. I'm, I'm a bit of both. Um, but uh, also too, like I wanted to do this kind of play on the idea that black is beautiful. So I wanted to try and get this uh, beautiful night owl with this colorful animation um, alongside it. So Love it. that's my animalator animal. Oh man, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a blast. Seriously, thank you so, so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it, Zach. Thank you, thank you. Animalators is created by the team at IV, recorded in the Weld Nashville studio, and produced by Chad Michael Snavely. To learn more, visit weld.co and chadmichael.com. To keep up with the work we're doing at IV, visit iv.studio, or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. You can also follow Animalators on Twitter at Animalators to keep up with all of the new episodes, and be sure to check out animalators.com to see every animation from all of our guests. To find out more about Handel's work, you can go to his website, HandelEugene.com, or follow him on Twitter at Handel underscore Eugene. Our theme music is composed by Cody Fry. You can check out more of his music at CodyFry.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and that helps more people find this show. Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure and join us next time for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation.